Hey, good morning to you. Hey, good morning to you too. Oh my goodness. Norman, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> so can you see me Got okay? Yeah. I can see you just perfect. All right. Wow, this is this is a real um treat to have you on my podcast. I oh. you know, and I, I had so much problems with the technicalities yesterday and i think i've got it all figured out and we're i've got to actually i've got a new mic uh for recording and i think we're good to go okay i'm just uh so honored and it's pleasure that you've asked me for this and uh got my ken eastwood hairstyle going here (laughs) looks great on you (laughs) yeah Go ahead, make my day. I said. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I plan to. I plan to make the, your day. So before we start, Norman, why don't you give an interview of yourself? You know, just identify your journey. Like, who is Norman, <laughs> right? And what makes you Norman? And you're you're unique. You're an exceptional person. But what makes you who you are? And what are you up to that's really big these days? Nakalet, uh, good morning in my language. Sedene Norman Yakalaya. I changed my name to Yakeula, which is my grandfather's real name in our language. And I am from a small community in the Northwest Territories known as Tolita. I am an indigenous person from uh, the mountains, from my grandfather's side. And on my grandmother's side, I'm also from Kalo, Willow Lake area. Mm. Uh, part of my heritage is also honoring my Métis heritage from my other grandfather. So in our small communities, we have a lot of grandfathers and grandmothers we were taught to call the older people etse and etso meaning grandfather and grandmother and uh, I'm from that that community I'm um, I'm a person that likes to learn things curious and um being from a small community, uh, I grew up with dog teams and cutting wood with a bandsaw and getting ice from the river uh, to nurse us, to wash our clothes and to take baths. Mm. And I grew up with the gas lamp and the candles. So I'll tell you how old I am. <laughs> and... Um, One of the things that I'm starting to learn at this age in my life is who who am I? I've been raised with people telling me who I should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Example, I spent eight years in the residential school. And the teachers and the nuns and the priests, supervisors, 
all told me who I should be, a good little Catholic boy, learned to read and write English, and I could be someone in the economic world of doing work. No one really told me who I was or what I could be as a Dene or Métis. And that was a confusing part of my life. After I finished school, I, I, I really wanted to be, you know, a white man, to make money, have a good job, raise a family, white picket fence, and a nice house. It was only my grandmother's words that said, you know, be a Dene. So what is a Dene? So in my time now, I'm asking the question, what is a Dene? And the Dene for me from the elders was to be a good person, to live a good life, and pass on what you know to the young people so they have the tools to make it in their generation. And so I've been on, on a quest from taking a break from political leadership. I've been a chief for my community. I've been a chief negotiator in settling the claim for my region. Uh, and negotiating a self-government framework, negotiating out-of-court settlements for residential school survivors, specifically the Groyer Hall Residential School um, claim uh, claims. And the other part of it is that 37 years ago, I did the most terrifying thing in my life was I put the bottle and drugs away and I was starting to walk the sobriety road. It's very simple, but I make it very complicated because like Frank Sinatra, I wanted to do it my way. <laughs> and there's a, there's a book there that's like a driving manual for a vehicle. And I learned to use that book to maintain my sobriety and work on me. And I didn't get it till after about 12 years that it's really that simple, but I make it so complicated. And so I've been on the road to sobriety and recovery. And that's through my political leadership as a tribal council chief, a member of the Legislative Assembly for the Governors of Northwest Territories, recently the Dene Nation National Chief, and the Assembly of First Nation Regional Chief. And now I'm starting to realize that throughout all those years, I've been in leadership at different forms. I volunteer my time for the last 18 years taking young people 
into the mountains and walking 50, 40 miles in one week with 60 pounds on their pack and teaching them leadership in today's world. And every year I say, that's my last year. And about May or June, I say, I get itchy feet. I got to go back out in the mountains. And so I'm in that period of my life, when I look at the full spectrum, I'm coming to the age of you know, teaching now. I'm not yet considered or I will proclaim myself to be an elder. That I said I say that now. I'm 63 years old. In my mind, I'm still young. But when I was 40 years old, 60 was old. And I'm saying, that's not old. I'm still young. You know, now 80 and 90 is old. And anyhow, so I'm going through that life, life experiential learning about, you know, our time left on this world. Mm. What's our legacy for our children? And, you know, who am I? And so I'm 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 in, I'm in there, but I'm also I like to do things innovative, and some of the things that I'm doing now that are innovative is really about nation building, mm. connecting to people, and coming up with some innovative idea as to how do we put people back on our land. People in the cities and towns, you know, how do we get them back on our land with the convenience of today, you know, making making that possible for young people to go on the land, but also to teach them on the land. So, I'm, I'm you know, something I'm looking at right now is uh, treatment centers on the land. Mm-hmm. Using our traditional culture and values, uh, connecting people with uh, economic initiatives. Wow, that that can I stop you just for one second, Norman? Yeah, yeah. Um, what I want to do is circle back to when you became sober, right? Yeah. So, so just putting it on the court, like the the real the real McCoy. Maybe identify what actual items you, what activity you did that helped you stay sober. Because 37 years ago, that's a long time ago, right? <laughs> like that. Oh, it's only a few 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think as people are listening to this podcast, and if somebody is in a position where they want to get sober, what are the practical things you can tell them that they can use today to start their sobriety journey? Okay, well, here, here it is. My family, my wife and three children, I really, really love them as any father would love their children and their family. And 
what was really the breaking point was my wife at that time came to me and said, if you don't stop drinking, we're going to leave you. I called her threat. And you know what? She was packing up, mm. packing the kids' clothes. And she said, I'm leaving you tomorrow. I mean, when you look in a woman's eyes, they know, you know that they mean business. Yes. So, because I want to look good in my community, I want to look like I'm doing good, I didn't want to look bad, so I said, I'll stop drinking, just to keep them at home. You know, I had a good job in my community, mm. well-respected. You know, I was a bylaw enforcement officer. I enforced laws. And my wife told me that. And so in order for me to keep my wife at home and my, my family together, my children, I said I stopped. After one month of miserable, one month of not drinking, looking good, I told her, hey, we didn't drink for a month. Let's go out and celebrate. Buy a bottle of wine, a case of beer. She looked at me. She said, no, I mean forever. I said, what? She said, forever. I said, oh, my God. You know, when I looked in my children's eyes, four years old, three years old, and a two-year-old, I said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't let you leave me. I want to stay. I love you. And when I seen the rise and the sadness of that, that's when I made a decision that I will stop. I didn't want to. I didn't like to. How could I live my life without drinking and doing drugs? What happened is that I went to my grandmother and she told me, it's good to see you sober. Two weeks later, I went back to her and she said, chut, chut. It's really good to see you're not drinking. You're sober. Keep it up. So that's how I started my sobriety. Stubborn, pig-headed, angry. But every time I came home, my children started having trust that dad's coming home not drinking. And one night I went out to visit with my wife on a Friday night. I told my sons, the oldest one, I'm going to go, and Dad's going to get a babysitter. And I came back. We came back at 11 o'clock, and they came downstairs all looking at us to see if we're drinking or not. And when they didn't see we were drinking, we're sober, they ran up and hugged us and kissed us. There's the magic. Mm. And that's when I started to realize what the impacts of my drinking on the family, not being so selfish, but being more for my children. 
And slowly after that, I got to hang around with sober people. And they told me about a program that will help me. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going that. That's for alcoholics and drunks. That's not for me. You see where I was? Until I start sitting in those meetings and listening, I wanted what they have. And I wanted to go to any lengths to get it, what they have. And that's what the magic start happening. I start working the, the steps. I start working it. Not talk about it. Work it. And that's why they call it steps. Mm -hmm. And I started to be service to other people. Get out of me and get into people. Help them see a better life. Help them see what's possible. So that's when I started my sobriety. Wasn't easy. It was actually pretty tough because I'm pretty I'm pretty stubborn sometimes. And so I started to work in that field, and I loved it so much. Like I say I, I got a job in it. I was going to be an RCMP officer, but I got offered a job as a drug and alcohol counselor, and I took it. Get this $20,000 a year. Tells you how old I am. <laughs> well, well, Norman, tell us. You know, like, I know it wasn't an easy journey. Like, when you give up any type, form of addiction, there's always temptation. Was there ever a point where you almost went back to drinking? Like, did anything ever happen to you at a period where you thought, okay, to hell with it, I'm going to just have this drink because I really want it right now. I can't see not going ahead without having this drink. Was there ever a point where you were thinking about the old days, you know, and wanting to connect with those people that drink and, and be around them? You know, when I stopped, you know, Angelina, every day I wanted to. There were good days when I wanted to. There were terrible days, you know, the loss of, Loved ones. Yeah. Uh, my my divorce from my wife. My separation from my children. Uh, financial issues. Uh, friends losing friends. Uh, not celebrating at events where there's drinking at the dances or uh, other community events. It's every day. It's every day I had a really good reason. And Christmas days were terrible because that's when I drank. Mm. New Year's was worse because that's when I really drank and partied. Birthdays, anniversaries, uh, loss of loved ones, uh, you know, celebrations of big wins in my life. Uh, those were the top, really top ones. I think the ones I really remember is Christmas. We're going to have our first sober Christmas, our first sober New Year's. 
our first sober birthday. You know, mm-hmm. first sober somebody else's birthday. Yeah. You know, or going to uh, other communities or going out of town and there's a bar there. Nobody's going to know. All my friends and all the other leaders are going to the bar. How come they could drink and I can't? Well, I could too if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. <laughs> you know, uh, or there's an old girlfriend i never seen for a long time. Good to have a drink with her. You know, I there's so many. Re- I can write a book on, you know, the list of reasons that, you know, I... I but I chose, I chose not to. And my only reasoning at that time was my children. And you know what? Deep down, when I get down to the truth of it all, I wanted to live. And I knew deep down, secretly, if I continue my drinking and drugging, I wouldn't live very much because I would, I, I you know, I drove a skidoo with my four-year-old son on it when I was drunk. And I just, at nighttime, I'm so ashamed because he's four years old. I'm an adult. I'm drunk. I'm driving a heavy machinery. And you know what? I put his life in danger. I put my life in danger. Selfish, selfish. Mm. I mean, those those are really hurtful days that, how selfish I could be. You know, my son is beautiful. He's, he was four years old, the cutest little thing. I'm putting him on the skidoo, and I, I I drove to a party. I mean, that's crazy. Nobody does that. I mean, when they're sober, you know, so those some of these, you know, I stole, I lied, I cheated. But it, I cover up so well that you didn't think I did. Those are the kinds of really areas that I had to look at. And look at waking up on my son's birthday and being sober. Waking up on my birthday and being sober. Mm-hmm. The Christmases were really good because... Kids were happy, and it was a sober Christmas, a sober New Year's. Mm. And I was going to work sober now. I wasn't missing work. And I get to help other people who wanted a life that I had. I wanted wanted one one more sober day that my other friends had had years of sobriety. I wanted what they had. And I was willing to go to any length to get that. Mm. But I was also willing and determined to do the work that I had to do to get there. You know, bring my kids now on the land, in the boat. Let them enjoy the the life in the bush at my cabin. Mm. You never, you know, you're never so blessed when your kid wakes up in the cabin and, you know, mom's cooking breakfast and coffee's on and nice and warm and sunny and they're just happy. Mm. You know, they're just happy. And, you know, even happier when I shoot a moose and they watch their dad skin it. 
Mm. You know, when the mom tries to meet up and they're never so happy, you know, tell their kids, my dad's trying to moose. <laughs> yeah. No? Yeah, that is so, like, that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about being there, sober, so you're being present, and you're sharing your traditional lifestyle, not, you know, not a... um a lifestyle that's froth with addictions. You're actually made a conscious choice to be sober and you're enjoying life with your children. You know, like it, that must mean that must that when I hear your story, I just think how precious that is. That is so precious because my son is 41 and my other daughter is 39 and or 37 or somewhere. My other son is in his 40s. You know, when they talk to me today, they say, Dad, we just loved it when you took us out to Old Fort Point up in Toledo. And we played and ran around free. And, you know, you were sober and boat ride. And you stop on the shore. You pull up the boat. You make us get wood. I teach them what kind of wood to get and make a fire and you know we make tea and cook marshmallows or wieners or mom mm -hmm. fries some meat up and it's sunny and we're playing in the water and he said okay pack up pack up the boat and we keep on going they said dad we remember those days just like yesterday mm -hmm. and you can't you it's priceless yeah. yeah you know and that's the life i want to show them that you know, without alcohol, this is possible. And with alcohol, you know, it's in living in the town, going to house to house, partying. You don't care if the kids are there or old people are there. You just drink there. Mm. You know, and you just, you're like a, you're like a, a nuisance. You know, and people just tolerate you for who you are and for whatever. And, you know, a lot of damages are done in in that area. And that's the realization that we don't have to live this way. We could live a rich, wealthy life. Yeah. Just a life. We can live that with a clean house clean wood stove, clean cupboard, food in the fridge. Mm. Nobody passed out on your couch. No cigarette butts on your floor. You know, we, you're going to have a clean mind, clean house. Mm. And you can teach them you know, what you've been taught. You know, that's, that's the most innovative approach that I can live today. Mm. That we can we can be rich and wealthy as as native people, mm. but we have to do the work, and for things to change, you got to change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you, I mean, through listening to your story, there was a moment where initially you you decided you made a choice to quit drinking because you wanted to look good for the community, for the job that you held, for your wife. But it sounds to me that shifted 
the the uh, desire to continue to stay sober and live a sober life was because you were enjoying the the life you had with your children, like teaching them the traditional cult customs and culture and seeing their happy faces, their smiling faces, their contentment and getting those hugs, you know, when you came home at 11 o'clock at night and you were sober and they were so happy. So that's oh, the reward, right? Yeah. Even when I talked to her, I could see it very vividly in my mind. I opened the door. Yeah. They're all three standing there, you know, and they looked at me and their eyes were bright. Mom and dad were sober. They looked like surprised. They just seen Santa Claus <laughs> and a big smile on the face. And it ran up to us and they hugged me. Yeah. They said, you're not drinking. I said, no. Oh, they just hugged me. Yeah. I mean, I could feel it. It's the love on the kiss on their cheek, hugging me and, grabbing my leg and, you know, and they were just happy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you can't buy that stuff. Yeah. It's got to be felt. And, you know, that is so much, you know, here, here we have three innocent children that were gifted to us. They chose us to be their parents. You know, and and I, I I think about that sometimes, and I think I cry sometimes because how selfish I've been with my own way of being, of looking good or being good, and the addiction of alcohol and drugs in my life. How selfish can a man be? Is this a dene? Mm. You know, a dene, it's just a dene. It is not a dene. It's a non-dene, but I pretend to be a dene. Look at me, I'm drinking, but I, who drinks? Well, everybody wants well. Who goes on? But I wasn't being a true dene. Mm. Dene means good person. And I can't even be that to my children. Mm. So, you know, I looked at that and thank God, you know, there's a program that helped me stay sober and maintain my sobriety and gets me to look at me. Yeah. Even though I didn't want to. If I wanted to maintain my sobriety, I had to look at me. And I needed guides. I needed people like you say, maybe we should try this. Maybe you should look at this. Because mm. I wanted what you had. Yeah, yeah. No, that is so good. And I think, you know, I I want to go back to, you know, what you said earlier, because we had conversations before you and I about what is a Dene. You know, and I... And I really like what you said. And, you know, some of these teachings I've heard, you know, from my grandparents, my grandma and my mother and my dad. But being a Dene is more than just the cultural identity as Dene. So what would you, 
you know, if you could put it in a um, succinct form, what is a Dene? Well, a Dene for me is a way of being in this world. It's really a transformational shift of being in the presence of now. Right now, mm-hmm. you and I are practicing being Dene in that space of sharing and helping each other, saying good words, saying some things that if I say you're not going to tear me down or criticize me. Being a Dene means being loved Mm. as where love should be. Being a Dene means that we have this intimacy. We share it and we acknowledge that there's a power greater than ourselves that is guiding us and that we do our best to help each other in life Mm -hmm. to be of service and not asking anything in return. That when you give me your words, I take those words like the elder said and you put them in your pocket. Keep it in your pocket because one day the elder said, the words I give you, you're going to take it out 20 years from now and say, oh, that's what Angelina meant. Must see. You know, and the elder told me that. We're going to give you a word. Sometimes it's going to be a keep it. Put it in your pocket. Sometimes we'll give you a little piece of paper. And then you come and see us. We'll give you another piece of paper. Then every time you come and see us, you know, you listen. And then you, after a while, you're going to put all this piece of paper together like puzzle. You can say, oh, yeah, that's what you meant. Must see. He said, we, 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 we want to do that. That's what being a Denny is to, is to help you. And they're going to test you. And you go through that testing period. But being a Dene means, you know, we survived here for thousands of years and we want our children to continue surviving. Learn learn this, the nature's laws, learn the seasons, learn the government laws of on our land. There's fall, there's winter, spring, and summer. Learn them. And uh, learn to be in relationship with everything. Most important relationship with your higher power, your God, Niwasane. You know, if you say him, he's going to help you. And it's all about that. It's, you know, and then same time, you know, learn to live in, in today's society. Work with them. You don't have to be them, but work with them, you mm-hmm. know, and but watch them. Talking about the non-native people, <laughs> but they're good. There's some, <laughs> yeah, there's some good ones there too. Mm. So watch, you know, the good ones are going to help you live, live today. You know, when I look at this, 
the impacts of the residential schools. Terrible, horrific, even to a genocidal conversation. But when I look at it, the elder told me, Norm, that residential school you talk about, it taught you something good. Look for it. So I was going, what? You don't know what I went through? Sexual abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, mental abuse. I was so angry and so justified of the residential schools. But in the sweat lodge, he said, that residential school you talk about, there's something good in there. Look for it. Oh, man, I was in the sweat lodge. I, I prayed, sweat. You know, after I came out and went on my life, I thought about what he said. Yeah, he's right. The residential schools, I got to meet a lot of beautiful brothers and sisters from all different communities. Mm. They were my brothers and sisters. I got to learn to study, read, a lot of good hockey, basketball, sports. I got to learn that the words we learned in English, we can use that and turn it and use it for our own in the white man language and agreements and settlements. It's like a wave. Use it back on them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and stand up for what we what they know English. We 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 know. We know so we use their language on them now. You know, and help us. And when we do that, you know, we we create our destiny. You know, we settle our land claim. I was a chief negotiator. I had good lawyers, researchers, good people, and they helped me when I negotiated with the federal government, government Northwest Territories. We used our words on them and for our agreement, but we tried to get what the elders are saying. You know, we never sold our land. Mm. It's always our land. You know, we we now want to have our own self-government, our own destiny. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to negotiate it. Yeah. You know, and the government is trying to not give it to us. We're saying, no, no, those days are over. It's now ours. We, this is this is our land. This is what we we live for. It's in our blood. But the way to explain it in English is sometimes they take it wrong because they think, uh, you know, um, we try to take something away from them. Mm-hmm. We say, well, it's never yours anyhow. We're, all we're doing is reclaiming it back to us. We've been institutionalized. We think that's yours. It's not yours. Mm-hmm. We're, we sobered up. I kind of say we sobered up. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and we're not used to it because we're not used to that mindset. We're mm-hmm. still in the victimized nationhood. 
And so now we're getting used to by being sober, standing up. I'm standing up for my sobriety. Mm. I'm standing up for people saying, no, it's not good to come into my house and drink. It's not good that you bother me. It's not good that you bootleg. It's not good that you, you know, you you make me responsible for your irresponsible spending. I don't owe you a pack of smokes. Mm. I don't owe you the Mickey or the joint. You can be like me and pay for your dues. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of like I'm I'm coming into, Andrew. I don't know if it's making sense, but I'm yeah. coming into that and you know, we gotta we gotta really, really set the straight path for our children. Mm. We really gotta be disciplined. Yeah. Because they got it tough. They got the new generation swiped, denied, you know, and yep. the cell phones and all that technology and it's no fault of their own. Yeah. You know, we when I was growing up, the first time I heard a record player, man, I'd like to guess who. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And my father said, why are you buying that junk? It's a record, a record player. Yeah. And I like it. You know, he got mad and threw up my record. Mm. You know, and... Uh, Today, I'm saying that to my son. Why do you like your cell phone? TikTok. Whatever, whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah. get a life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're Kids making total sense, yeah, Norman. They're, they're all fun. I mean, I love them. And I, you know, and I'm, they said, Dad, you're still in this. You're still in the smoke signals. So you got to get used to the cell signals. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're making perfect sense. Yeah, it's oh, true. Oh, okay, I mean, okay, okay. Yeah, because the generations, like each generation has this thing, right, that we see as good or bad, but it's not good or bad. It's just is, you know, and it's that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just the way it is. And, 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 and that is what, you know, these young people are teaching us. Mm. They're asking for help. They're crying for help. But we're not listening, not reading the signals. Yeah. You know, we were young and radical, you know, in the 60s and 70s, bell bottoms and, yeah. you know, 60 music and groovy. And yeah. People, and old people say, what the heck's coming out of these guys here? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. peace sign and love and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess those were must have been really good times. Well, I'm I'm, I'm watching the time, so I'm conscious of the time, and I'm thinking what this last phase that I want to talk about before we wrap up is what are you up to that's bigger than yourself? That's that's a really good question. So what I would say is. Raising leaders, raising leaders in today's world by taking them on the land, such as the Canal Youth Leadership Hike. After 18 years and over 700 miles walking in the mountains, being with the young people in today's world, providing them with the experience of being on the land, learning from the land, you know, really raising leaders, giving them the opportunity to be with other adults, other youth, 
Read the land. Learn from the land. Get on the land. Mm. Walk the land. To know the land, you must walk it. So I'm really up to having a unique training development to raise young indigenous leaders, even non-indigenous people, to learn to live together and to come into a different authentic leadership that you know would would instill strong values in them speak well know their land really well know what it means to be healthy know the impacts and how to deal with the unhealthy impacts of you know life so that is a real big one for me you know to look at our land as our first educators, our first school. Mm. You know, be really strong. That's where our first education has to be because it's real life experience. The other stuff is important to be a manager or superintendent or an educator or a nurse. That is also important. But you know, in medicine, we also have our own medicine people. Let's use the herbal medicine. Let's use our medicine people for our own people also to help learn about education of the white man's education. Also, the first one is for our own, to learn how the animals live. Mm. Today is winter time. You know, the old man is sleeping. So there's a law that we don't talk about there's there's a law that we don't talk about him or her and this month the old lady in the in the in the in the mountains she has a baby last month this month she's going to turn over now to the other side mm. so learn about the animals learn about the plants the sky everything how that can help you that is what, and also I want to create some very unique training and development programs from an indigenous point of view, from a sober a grandfather, a father, a recovering alcoholic, um, you know, mistakes I've learned in life. Mm. You know, here's what I've learned. Sometimes I have to learn six or seven, ten times before I learn them. That's how stubborn I am, man. I get that. <laughs> You know, learn to be in political leadership. So I'm training, training leaders in political leadership community. And, you know, and I want to design a new innovative approach for being on the land for healing programs, using our own traditional values from our own region, from our own people. Mm. You know, learn, like, you know, we should have, like, McDonald's, over a million of these in our country for on the land. Yes. But have a system. Yes. Have a system that it could work here in Yellowknife, it could work in Ontario, it could work in northern Alberta. But have a system like McDonald's, over a million served. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Over oh a million Aboriginal people served and on the land healing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, that's an amazing vision, you know, and it's possible. It is possible to do this. Of course. Of course. Ray Kroc, Peter McDonald's, Thomas Edison, the greatest inventor. 
Yeah. The greatest inventor that helped us was the lights came on after 10,000 times trying. Yeah. We're no different than Thomas Edison. We got some Thomas Edison. We just don't have them recognized yet, acknowledged them. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I definitely know what you mean. Yeah. And yeah. and so if you were, if I was, you know, we you talked a little bit about your legacy, thinking about your legacy, what, you know, if you were to, you know, pare it down to three statements or three words, what would your legacy be? Thank God Norman Yaklaya didn't give up on this idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank God Norman was sober. Yes. And Norman told us to listen to elders. Mm. And I thank God he told us to listen to elders because with the elders, we... We are not going to survive. We're going to thrive. Mm. Mm. We're going to thrive. And, you know, that the most powerful weapon God gave us is our love for each other and our land. Yeah. The most powerful weapon that Norman said that the creator, that gave us is to have love in our heart for our people. Mm. Be good with them. Be gentle with them, be kind, but also be stern and discipline them. Mm. You yeah. know, uh, you know. Without without our Creator, we're nothing. You know, and I want to say in closing, without my mother, I'm nothing. Mm. So we really got to honor our women in a good way, as as Dan and men we should be doing, is to is to honor our women, put them in their rightful place, in our rightful language, our eyes. You know, our women are the, if we have our women really strong at the backbone, look out world, will be a powerful nation. Mm. It is not us men. We have our role to protect you and yeah. nurture you. Yeah. And that's our role. And so, we need to put our roles back in place before the resident school, before the Europeans. We got to come back to that system and let's start now. Let's not talk about it. Do it. Let's go on the land and do it because on the land, mm. you will see naturally where the woman is so beautiful. Yeah. She comes to be in the mother, the wife, the daughter, the niece, whatever. And you see the men so beautiful be men hunt get wood mm. help each other laugh yeah and you wow. get to see that the children get to see that yeah in town we don't get to see it because we got kfc we got <laughs> starbucks we got tim hortons and you know we yeah. do our own thing yeah i i get that that's totally i I get everything you said here this morning. I get it. And, you know, I want to just acknowledge you, Norman, because you are one of the board of directors on the um, seventh generation um, Indigenous training. Um, and I I just want to acknowledge you for that because you're, you know, participating in the foundation will make it thrive. Your wisdom 
your guidance. And I've, you know, we've got a, a number of other people on, on the board that are, are like you giving us uh, advice and helping us. But I really want you to know that I acknowledge you and I thank you for, in, for accepting my invitation to sit on the board. And today I thank you for, for participating in my podcast because your words resonate with me. They make a difference. And I'm, and I'm hoping that people listening to this will share this podcast with their friends, their family, people that are struggling to be sober, looking at what it is, the one thing that will keep them sober. And it's the future children. It's the children now and their future. And that is so important. That is that is so true. And thank you very much for having me on a, on this podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always say take, take it for what it is. And if it helps, great. If it, uh, something to think about, great. You know, and take what you, what you need and what you, what you, um, want and, you know, plant the seed. And that's what, you're doing with this foundation, you're planting the seed and we're going to see growth and uh, we plant the right seed yeah. and uh, it's like the seeds that we plant the seed until we see growth and we nurse and protect and then we maintain it. And, you know, in the, the fall season, we, we, we harvest what we, you know, what we, uh, we, we, what we planted, we harvest it. In the wintertime, well, we start all over again. Mother Nature at work, but, you know, us Denny, sometimes we need some little push here and there. That's why we've got good people with us. Right. Well, thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure talking to you, and I, I love sitting down with you this morning. I got my tea, and I, I just didn't have any bannock, but it's like we're sitting around the campfire, and this is, spiritual words and um, energizing words. Thank you, Norman. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>